Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to this episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo, and I'll be steering the conversation for the next 30 minutes or so. In this episode, I'm joined by Sabah Sharif, Head of New Product Development and Corporate Strategy at Simcor, to discuss the benefits of an open banking framework that builds on global learnings to address the unique needs of Canadians. Now, while open banking will bring opportunities for the Canadian market, Sabah is here to explain why a focus on trust, security and privacy will form the foundation for successful adoption. Welcome to the podcast, Sabah. Thank you, Ellie. Let's start with um, finding out a bit more about Simcor. For those listening to the podcast who who aren't familiar, can you give us some background on the organisation? Yeah, for sure. And and again, thank you for for hosting this. Super excited to be here. Um, So for those who aren't familiar, Simcor is a private entity in Canada. We've been around for over 25 years. And I guess the best way I can describe it is we're really there to support organizations who have unique needs in the market to deliver services to their end customers who are a B2B organization that helps them succeed and evolve in a digital world to do the things that that are necessary to support their their end needs, whether that be facilitating payment processing, facilitating communications, or establishing a secure data exchange in the avenue of fraud in those types of situations. So we provide a, a strong foundation for a lot of Canadian organizations across across a number of industries in that respect. Great. And, and let's move on to talk about sort of open banking more widely, I suppose, in Canada. We're obviously at an exciting point in the country. So um, let's provide a, a bit of context maybe to start with. How does open banking in Canada differ from other regions? Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think actually, Ali, the first question is uh, really, that's still to be determined. How will it differ? Because I could argue that open banking doesn't exist in Canada. Um, we have screen scraping and some will argue that that is open banking, but I, I don't think that was the intended outcome for any uh, anyone who's really thought of what this should be and what the value that it can provide. Since, you know, to your intro, we're really talking about moving forward on security and trust and privacy in, in extensible ways. So, how should it differ? How will it differ? How could it differ? I think means taking a look at, um, you know, maybe perhaps some of the, the differences in the Canadian market and whether we should be more regulatory driven, as we've seen in the EU or UK or Brazil, or are we going to take a more market driven approach, uh, which is very much what the US is doing, or a hybrid approach like we've seen in Singapore? So for me, that first kind of starts with understanding um, how is Canada different in general? Like, do we have the same micro and macro conditions that led to mandates and prescriptive standards and actually included a general lack of trust in banks in some of those markets, um, the lack of a modern payments network? Or, you know, are we a different, um, you know, economy and jurisdiction that can rely on market fo- forces to drive a lot of this forward? Do we have a history of that in Canada? And what ultimately makes the most sense? So, I think for the first part, we can I, I, you can argue and point to real numbers where Canadians in general do have a significantly higher trust in their banks and their organizations. In fact, the majority of them do their business with a handful of financial institutions, and they've enjoyed a very solid and strong relationship throughout the years. Um, in fact, almost double more the positive trust perception that uh, that you've seen in, in other markets, which is significant differences. We also haven't had the same you know you know troubles that other markets have had. 
we are taking a different approach to payments modernization. So, you know, all that being said, I don't think the, the same necessary uh, conditions are there for an overly prescriptive and regulate, regulated approach. We do have a history of moving forward on collaborations in the market. There are many organizations. We are a collaboration. If you think about it, we're owned by three of some, uh, Canada's you know, largest financial institutions who collaborate with each other. And yet we do business across um, other industries and other organizations as well. So I think, you know, we have to, it starts with recognizing the fact that we are different. We have different conditions. We are seeing you know, momentum and movement in certain areas where the industry is gathering together and they're making um, certain uh, adjustments to move open banking forward. And those are positive. We can talk about that later. So ultimately, for me, we are all talking about a made in Canada solution. We have the benefit of time. Um, and I think we should approach it to say that this one will be different and it, and it should be different. It's not just because we want to do it. We don't have we don't have the same situation in, in Canada that we have elsewhere. But I, I think ultimately, no matter who argues about how it's going to be done, everyone's looking forward to it actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right to say, you know, I asked how does open banking in Canada differ? But, you know, for some people, it doesn't even exist yet, as you say. So you're at an interesting point there in Canada. Um, uh, and you've obviously seen open banking kind of um unfold in, in various other regions. So what are the opportunities that can arise um, when you implement open banking? Um, you know, for example, onboarding customers or when it comes to reducing fraud um, and also financial inclusion? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, Ali, the, the entire customer experience um, uh, can, can, can benefit from open banking. So certainly there's the natural use cases that get um, everyone talks about. I don't know if people get super excited about them, but personal financial management and budgeting and, and those types of things. But I, I really love the one around financial inclusion. Uh, in Canada, we do not have um, comparatively a large unbanked population, but I would argue we have a, a decent underbanked. Um, we, you know, we're a country that it continues to have an influx of immigrants uh individuals who may not have a, a history that is um, readily available and knowable uh, when you're you know, starting a relationship uh, net new with a financial institution or just traditional methods of determining the services and relationships that should be offered to these, these individuals, they just don't work, right? Like a, a traditional credit score leaves a lot of people out um, and doesn't necessarily capture uh, all the fraud situations. So I think the opportunity to open up services in a more equitable way uh, to a broader uh, Canadian, the broader Canadian population, is is a super exciting one for me, and I think a very important one that we shouldn't lose sight of because this ultimately is all about the customer. Um, when you talked about onboarding, that's an interesting one because actually the, the pandemic's forced a lot of organizations to accelerate their plans for a much more digital experience for customer onboarding. It's still not perfect, um, and uh, but when you don't have the opportunity to go into the branch and you can't physically produce an ID in front of someone, we, we've already seen a movement to a lot of organizations providing more, you know, digital onboarding experiences. So I think some of that already exists, but the the real beauty of open banking is the expanded trust network that it could create that gives uh, more, you know, accurate perhaps and more readily accessible access to information that I consent to sharing about myself to validate that I am who I say I am um, and that that helps an organization make a decision to, to offer services to me and onboard me in a, in a much more easier way. So the opportunity to reduce friction in that onboarding, you know, to have better fraud checks, better AML checks uh, in a much more digital, digitally native experience, I think that's really, um, those are the maybe unintended consequences of open banking as opposed to the third-party apps that are naturally wanting to get access to this data. 
Yeah, there are lots of lots of benefits you've listed there, and and I think um, what's interesting maybe is, and where we've seen some some uh, countries come up against some some of the challenges here is is communicating that, isn't it, to consumers? So I'm interested to hear whether you think um, the introduction of open banking in Canada will require a bit of a shift in consumers' sort of mindset and, and behaviour in order for it to be kind of widely adopted there. Yeah, well, it, you know, interestingly, uh, back to does open banking exist uh, in Canada? Um, you know, by some estimates, 4 million Canadians have already decided to use the outcomes of data being accessible uh, and consented data, let's say, being accessible to them. They just happen to be using it through the less than ideal uh, method of credentials uh, sharing and screen scraping. So somehow 4 million Canadians have you know, gotten over the incentives. There is an incentive in place for them to share, share data with third parties. Um, that being said, there was a recent global survey that's, you know, indicated that over half, uh, you know, of, of customers surveyed felt that they they still weren't ready to share their data. I'm certainly in that boat of, I know the inherent risks with credential sharing and and, and don't love it. Um, not everyone's in that in that same space. So I do think that um, education is going to be absolutely key. Four million is a good number, but they're probably not aware of what the, of what risks are, uh, you know, entailed there. So you're going to have to shift those customers over into, okay, I'm now going to make maybe use more secure means, and here's the value of it, and, and whatever that that entails. And then there's the increase of that, that that population as well. So education is absolutely going to be key. And I actually think this is something neat, where with the open bankings are being named, this is an area that government can play a big role. You know, the most people surveyed either don't want to share their data or don't know what open banking is. And that's going to continue for some time. So supporting education, and it's going to be a mix of, I think, government and certainly at the points of customer interaction, whether that be the fintechs, uh, third parties, or the financial institutions themselves that are interacting with their customers, education is going to absolutely be key in, 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 in consent and privacy and simple language rules and a lot and consistency is going to be very important there. So I think it's more than education. I think there's going to have to be uh, standards that we have to consider, but um, I do think there's a, a good role for government to play here. Yeah, interesting to to hear your thoughts there on, on that and how government and and the industry itself obviously will kind of be able to to jointly play a role there in education. Um, you picked up there actually on on I guess some of the reluctance when it comes to data sharing is is the kind of supposed risks around that. So, what are some of the risks that Canada? Um, might face when when designing its own open banking regime, do you think? And, and how can it kind of mitigate those? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, maybe I'll go off book from the natural fraud risk. We'll t- chat about that in a bit. But um, I think the risks are, we go back to what's the goal of, of open banking. It's about, you know, the customer, it's enhanced security, it's leading to innovation, it's inclusion, it's you know better customer experience. It's all those things. So, you know, the risk that Canada could face is what's actually been realized in other markets when it has, um, you know, taken time and cost hundreds of millions of dollars by some accounts to get there with not a ton of adoption. Uh, so, and you know, I was taking a, a recent look at the UK numbers and, you know, by some estimates, it's, it's about four and a half million users uh, about a year ago that were using open banking in a population of UK of about 65 million that's not a lot um, that are getting it, you know, taking advantage of that, that, that service. So we have to be careful for ultimate goal is innovation. It's, it's competition. It's moving the economy forward. I do think there's a lot of learnings um, from other markets that need to be applied here. And so there is the risk of taking too long of costing too much money and not ending up achieving what we're all looking to achieve. 
And so I think that is important for, for us to keep in mind. And the, the good news is if you take a look at the advisory committee report, which really is talking about a made in Canada approach, um, it did point out to the need for the government to collaborate with industry to move things forward. And without that collaboration, um, with a targeted to overly prescriptive approach, I think we will miss, miss our opportunity and we will have unintended consequences of things taking a lot longer uh, than we, uh, we expect. So, you know, let's, let's make sure that we um, allow for differences, but we, and this is where I think the industry can certainly play a role. Standards are great. They allow for interoperability and efficiency and scale. But I think we have to recognize that so many organizations that are in different places, and this is where industry can help and take a greater role in helping resolve some of those, you know, differences and those those inefficiencies. So, I think you know, if I can sum it up, uh, a risk could perhaps be that this takes another three years. Now we're seven years behind other markets, and it, and it costs too much money um, when we're trying to really get to a much more competitive uh, market that is supportive of of innovation. Yeah, and look, let's hope it. it- it doesn't take a, a, another three or seven years or, or whatever, but absolutely, there are certain certainly risks in, inherent in this process. And um, uh, I wanted to, to move on to, to find out from you what are the major issues um, relating to fraud or data exposure um, that you've seen kind of in other jurisdictions that have implemented open banking? And, and what are the learnings there, do you think, for Canada? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, and it absolutely has to be an area of focus um, for for us as Canadians. It's in it, you know, something that Simcor is quite familiar with. We run actually a, as I mentioned, a secure data exchange where we have financial institutions who share data and use analytics through Simcor to look for patterns and and things like fraud and potential risk there, and help improve their own um, interactions with their customers. So interestingly enough, I would say what we've seen in other markets has less been about open banking driving incremental fraud. In general, though, um, it certainly does create a wider, perhaps, scope of uh, potential risk. So now data is in multiple places. Is that increased the risk of something going wrong with it? So what you've often seen, though, in open banking is just expanded the network and it's created more opportunity. But they're not new issues. They're existing issues. Account takeover is an existing issue that that happens today. We know where a customer's account or credentials are compromised. And um, if someone has access to that information, they can set up an account in your name. They can transfer money uh, out of your account. Um, you know, they can easily sign up and register if they have that. You know, even with uh, two-factor authentication, there's ways to compromise people's, um, you know, text messages, etc. So those risks are existing risks. This just really exacerbates it because... A financial institution doesn't know anything other than, hey, this is a registered third party. The credentials that are being used are correct credentials. And now maybe a payment initiation or payment transfer is being made. So for them, it looks all legit. So the the risk that I think we have is, is again, an existing risk, but perhaps one that is exacerbated. And it's going to be really important uh, for us to have controls in place. So third party accreditation, making sure that's uh, that's in place you know, the appropriate risk-based accreditation based on the type of data that's being accessed or the service that's being provided. There's going to be, um, you know, obligations on those third parties for ongoing auditing and monitoring. Like, don't keep the data longer than you need to keep the data. Um, you know, that that is not something that exists today. If you're using screen scraping, there aren't any rules. There's no one who's saying, take get rid of the data uh, sooner rather than later. So I think that's going to be an important thing that is certainly going to get addressed. We've seen it addressed in other markets. Um, 
certainly two-factor authentication at the point of, you know, um, online authentication at the bank is going to be super important. But I, I think there's a unique opportunity that we have, and it's back to creating that trust network. So there is an opportunity in this, in this equation done appropriately to see transactions, to see volumes, and to see behaviors and identify things that are, you know, off base. So this doesn't look like it's generating, uh, you know, a transaction that's generating from the right source. I've never seen this before. Maybe I got to take a little bit more caution and care in, in, in authorizing that or, or validating it. Or I'm seeing rapid setups of accounts across a number of third parties and rapid initiation of, you know, transfers or account creations. There's going to be a need to share data. There's going to be a need to collaborate and put in the necessary procedures and processes in place to try and identify those those gaps and those vulnerabilities alongside just the overall mandate for all organizations that have access to data to continue to adhere to privacy rules and security rules in, in that in that landscape. Yeah, it's such a, an important aspect of, of all of this, isn't it? And um, look, we, you've mentioned the fact that um, the advisory board um, called the Canadian regime a kind of made in Canada approach. Obviously, we're sort of yet to find out exactly what that means. But, you know, an open banking lead has been appointed now. And so things are hopefully will start to take shape fairly soon. But what in your mind, are the key considerations for a successful rollout of open banking in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, we all get excited about the Made in Canada. I mean, no one loves the fact that we're so far, perhaps later than other jurisdictions, but let's look on the positive side, which I love to do. And it's that we can learn from other jurisdictions. So for me, I think, um, you know, with the, and it was alluded to in the advisory committee report as well, that that there is going to be collaboration. The government is going to collaborate with industry. And we have to, I think, consider what that, what does that actually mean? What are the right roles for government to play? What are the right roles for industry to play? And I think we can build up on things that are actually already, already happening here in Canada today. So, you know, learning from other, other jurisdictions, um, I think we have to consider an, an, a way to make the entire network as effective and as efficient as possible. So if we all spend a ton of money, uh, you know, updating banking infrastructure to make APIs available, and that takes a whole whole lot of time, the other markets, from my perspective, tried to solve the issue from a fintech or a third party point of view. Let's make the data available. Let's make it consistent. Let's make that easy. It didn't solve the problem of the fact that it's going to take banks a hell of a lot of time to make this uh, a reality because that's just their, their systems were not set up. Um, to handle the volume of calls or the nature of calls that are required in in an open banking regime. So I think that's going to be important. Um, And a key consideration is how do we solve for both sides of the equation in order to actually make this happen? How do we make it effective and efficient uh, overall? And again, what is the the role of of government and the role of industry and how do they work together and collaborate together in a way that is ultimately leading um, to a a, a national, national regime? I think the the other, and it's been called out in the um, the Open Banking Advisory Committee report as well. Lots of folks talked about it in the last consultations. It's about consistency in legislation. Our federal rules are not the same as our provincial rules, and we have a risk of leaving out credit unions perhaps from participation if we don't address some of that, um, some of that differentiation. Um, and certainly, moving forward on certain privacy legislation, we're supposed to modernize some of our. Um, expectations there is going to be very important for us to consider to ensure that open banking is, is is successful here. And when it comes to the kind of open banking rules being being written, 
as we mentioned, there is an open banking lead um, and, and he's already kind of starting in his, his role. So um, are you hoping, though, that that part of, of his job will be to ensure that all of the industry, the key stakeholders have some kind of input in, in how open banking will be sort of facilitated? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's going to be important. You, you really can't over-index on, on one end versus the other, because um, if, if you do, uh, you know, you 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 run the risk of, of people just being intransigent in the in their in their positions. And I don't think that's what we want. So I, I certainly from everything that we've heard from Abraham is that that is his intent is to really um, speak to all sides of industry to understand how do we make this happen and how do we make it um, happen together. You know, that being said, while while it's occurring, again, I, I'm, I'm of the viewpoint that that doesn't mean that we have to wait. Uh, we have, as an industry, moved open banking forward. We have established um, certain industry groups. We have actually collaborated in, in, in many instances. And there are examples of open banking, you know, moving into like, people sharing data already through APIs. So I think we should continue to, to move forward with that. Otherwise, it's wait 18 months and then figure it out. And that just delays the start. So I don't think that um, is necessary. So if we can have the government kind of focus on laying the necessary groundwork to ensure that voices are heard and focus on the areas that I think are going to be really important for government to weigh in on, accreditation framework is super key there. What are the rules for who can participate? What are the obligations on them? How do we manage them on an ongoing basis? Perhaps getting into liability um, uh, issues, the harmonization on privacy laws that I mentioned. I think that's going to be important. And while that's happening, while government, because that's not a small act by any means, uh, the industry should continue to move forward. There's nothing that stops organizations from making data accessible in a more safe and a secure way um, and and testing some of that and learning from it and and moving forward. Yeah, as you say, you know, there isn't anything to stop the industry moving forward. Have you seen some examples of of progress already? And, And if so, what do those kind of look like? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Canada it was about a year and a half ago that um, a, lar- a number of industry participants uh, joined together to launch FDX Canada and bring that forward. So setting kind of the standards around APIs, that's going to be very important. And they're, they're certainly learning from other markets as well. Uh, you also have the work that the CIO Strategy Council is doing. So there's a lot of industry groups that are consulting um, with organizations and trying to say this is the path forward. We've certainly been doing that as well as, as we, as I mentioned, run secure data exchanges. So I think those are those are really good examples of, of people just collaborating. They're like, <laughs> we can't wait. Uh, we're worried about what might happen if, if, if it gets overly, um, you know, baked or, or decided before we've kind of tested this. So let's actually test some of these things and, and make some of those discussions happen. So I think that's a, that's a great example um, we ran a small proof of concept ourselves uh, with a number of organizations to help make uh, you know a data exchange happen and a test data exchange happen. So those types of tests are going to help determine, even if it's not the technical elements, like what are people comfortable with sharing? What does that need to look like? What are the needs on either side of the table? And so those types of advancements, I think, are, are all positive uh, and they're also all necessary in order to move open banking forward. And I suppose my final question requires you to kind of gaze into your crystal ball a little bit, but I want you to kind of look five years ahead and and where do you think open banking in Canada will be in that in that period? Yeah, where where do I wish it'll be? I suppose is the, is the... well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because um, if oh, if I had a crystal ball, well, I, I think Ellie, I, I hope that we're we're past this stage. We have real working examples. Um, you know, of that data exchange happening, we're moving off of screen scraping. 
we won't be there 100%. I just, I, I think in five years, just given the time frame of 18 months to do some of the rollout, et cetera, I don't think we'll be there. But I, I hope that we have um, set the wheels in motion. We have started to, to move towards the more secure means. There's less and less um, fear of that. Customers understand uh, what this is. If, if my wish were to come true, which, uh, you know, possibly unlikely is that we're not just talking about open banking. Uh, this is all about hey, the basics. This is my data. I want to be able to share with whom I share with others. We want to protect that, make sure that it happens in an effective and efficient and a secure way. But what if I go beyond open banking? What if I go into open data? Uh, what if all my data, when my customer data rights are understood, respected, um, and supported? So my data portability across uh, my interactions, again, in a safe and a secure way. This is the opportunity that Canada has. If approached with the learnings of what's worked and not worked in other jurisdictions, if there are the right incentives for industry to be competitive, to work together and to collaborate, to move these, these things forward, in five years, we're moving beyond open banking and we're moving into open data uh, discussions. And that's that's really the competitive uh, and innovative opportunity that I think we have here in Canada. Absolutely. And um, yeah, we'll have to get you back on the podcast in five years time and see if your predictions came true. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to buy a lottery ticket today. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, Saba, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today, for coming onto the podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, great to hear about uh, Simcor and also open banking in Canada more widely. So thank you. Thank you, Ellie. My thanks to Saba for joining us on this episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. Open Banking Expo will be holding its next Canadian quarterly meetup in June, and it will be an in-person meetup for the first time in quite some time. So do visit openbankingexpo.com and the events page to register your interest for that and find out more. Until next time, goodbye for now.